You know, the Holy Spirit abides with us forever. He never leaves us. The day you trust Jesus Christ, you get the whole package, you know, and Christ is in you and the Spirit's in you, God in you, and, and it's so wonderful to be in the house of God. I've told people before, <clears throat> what's holy about this place is not this sheetrock in this building. It's the fact that believers are here, and that means the Lord is here because he's in us. Our bodies are the temple. Thank you, Sister Janet. We're looking at uh, Exodus chapter 8 today, verses 20 to 32. Uh, there's a little verse in Ecclesiastes that says, there's a fly in your ointment. If there's a fly in your ointment, it causes the ointment to stink. And we're going to talk about something disgusting today because we're talking about flies. Uh, this plague, as we go through the plagues of Egypt, we're looking at the flies. And some of you thought we were free from these plagues and going to finally move into the promised land. But uh, that's not the case. We are still halfway through. We're looking at the fourth plague, not quite halfway, actually, flies. Um, it, it's strongly suspected that flies transmit at least 65 diseases, including cholera, typhoid fever, tuber tuberculosis, and others. I mean, they're disgusting. You, you know that. Uh, they come from maggots and screw worms. Uh, and become flies. They're spreaders of diseases. They can walk upside down in your ceiling. They can see almost 360 degrees. They taste with their feet. They live about a month but can starve in a few days. Disgusting. And none of us can stand a fly. Uh, they're distinct from others with fly in their name. There's dragonflies and mayflies and fireflies and wonderful little butterflies. But these are not the same. They are disgusting, as I already said. There's, they're part of Greek mythology, the Greek god who chased away flies. And in English literature, Emily Dickinson wrote, I heard a fly buzz when I died. And the Egyptians, who had 1,400 plus gods, think of that. We have one, the one true God. They had 1,400 gods. Had a fly god, uh, a god is represented by a fly called Ray, and they had an air god, the son of Ray, who is in the god of the air, and they had another god which called Uchit, which was the head of a fly, and all these gods that would be humiliated when God sent this plague. All these plagues would humiliate these gods. Let's read chapter 8, verses 20. Stand with me. Verses 20 through 24. We're going to study down through 32. Let's read this together. And the Lord said unto Moses, Now remember the Lord with all capitals is Yahweh. You know that. If it were L and small O-R-D, it would be Adonai or Adonai. The Lord, it says here, <clears throat> said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh, lo, he cometh forth to the water. And say to him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Else, if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thy houses, <clears throat> and the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground whereon they are. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, to the end that thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. And the Lord did so. 
and there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh. Let's pray. God, we ask you to bless us today as we take a look for, in your book for a walk in this world. And God will glean some handfuls on purpose, something that will help us during the week. And I don't know the hearts of the people, but you do. And I just pray your Holy Spirit convicts and encourages and comforts and rebukes whatever he needs to do in the lives of our people. Lord, that we'll learn and grow and be more like Jesus. Bless now, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now here, Moses is going to warn Pharaoh. He met with Pharaoh on the edge of the bank, and he said, let my people go or else, or else there's going to be a swarm of flies. Now, this could have been one of several types of flies. We don't know because we have to go back 3,500 years, and we don't know what kind of critters they had. But uh, uh, some scholars have said this must have been the biting horse fly. And the reason they conclude that is because in Psalm 78:45 it says the flies devoured the people. And the word translated devoured, the Hebrew word, is also translated eat hundreds of times and feed or fed many times in your Old Testament. And so they conclude these were some sort of biting flies. The Septuagint calls these dog flies. Now, what is the Septuagint, Pastor? It was the first translation of Greek in the day of the Lord. And so we know that when the eunuch was uh, riding in his chariot, he was reading the Septuagint. He was reading the Greek Old Testament on Isaiah 53. And Philip jumped up and said, do you understand what you're reading? And it's a direct quote from the Septuagint. So scholars tells us that's what he was reading. That was the Greek translation of the day. And that eunuch got saved. Because he explained Isaiah 53. I love that. But anyway, we know that the Septuagint calls them dog flies. And certainly the rotting, uh, rotting excuse me, frogs who lingering, a few still lingering, would have attracted the flies. And the filth must have driven the Egyptians crazy. Because they were really into cleanliness. My mom, a wonderful lady, we had the cleanest house until one of my sisters made her house cleaner. I don't know how, but my mom had a clean house. She was Dutch. My dad used to say, if you're not Dutch, you're not much. We're joking, but my mom kept an immaculate house. You always knew everything would be clean. And uh, I, I love that about my mom, and we were reared that way. But you understand that the Egyptians were fanatics. They had all these gods of cleanliness. And what does God do to rebuke those gods? Sends flies. Sends flies. My mother used to have a fly swatter. And she'd chase that thing around and try and kill that fly. She didn't want to fly in the house. You understand. They're disgusting. One time I was making tea. I couldn't find the strainer, so I used the old fly swatter. My mom said, what are you doing? I said, well, Mom, I used the old one, not the new one. Don't worry. No, I'm kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> but uh, they're disgusting. Everyone knows that when a fly lands on your plate, you are, uh, I, I, unless you're an abnormal person, you're thinking about that place where he landed, you know. They're dirty, nasty critters. And here are swarms of them. Now, the Hebrew words translated swarms here is an interesting word. It really means mixture. So this could have been a, a variety of many flying insects, flies, many of them, and somewhere on the ground. And that could have included the scarab beetle, which flew and pinched, and, and they had a god, a scarab beetle god. So that could have been, they could have been involved in this mixture of flies. And here they are, flies 
everywhere. In verse 22, it says they only really bothered the Egyptians. They didn't bother the Israelis. Goshen was protected from them. First time we see that. Remember, the other plagues affected everyone. Now we see Israel's distinct or separated from them. And the purpose here again is to point out that God is the, is the Lord. Amen. One true God. We're monotheists. We're not polytheists. We believe in one God. Amen. The triune, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. We believe that and we put our faith in him today. And if you don't know him today, you could come forward at any time and we'd take the Bible and show you how to be saved. He's the Savior of the world and it's his way. I am the way, he says. No man cometh to the Father but by me, he says. Anyway, back to our text. And we find here in verse 23, he says here, and I will put a division, a division uh, between the people. And this is an interesting word as well. The Hebrew word can be translated save or redeem. He spares the Israelis from these flies. Oh, I, I'd have liked to have been there just to see that. Here in Israel, you don't have any flies. And all over Egypt, they're in their houses and in their, last week, well, in the frogs jumped in their, in their dough, I think it was last week or two weeks ago. Here they are in their houses, swarms of them. And God distinguishes, he separates his people from the Egyptians and spares them from this. Talk just a moment about the difference in, in, in us and the world. We know that Egypt's a type of the world. We understand that. Israel was separate on this particular plague. And the teaching of separation, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, is clear in Scripture. We have to be separate from the world and distinct and different, don't we? And, uh, you know, I hear people carry separation to extremes. I, I remember in Okinawa, I had a Christian school. I, I never want to pastor a church with a Christian school again. It was too much stress. <laughs> and my kids were in the school. And when my principal wasn't there, I had to spank my own children. Now, that wasn't so bad. But when I had to spank a deacon's child or someone else's child, I didn't like that. I didn't like being involved in the school. But anyway, that has nothing to do with our message. We had a, a large youth group, and we had kids from Okinawa Christian School, a good school on the island. And then we had our own school, Maranatha. And then we had the homeschoolers, and then we had Kadena High School kids and Kobasaki High School kids all mixed together. And once in a while, we'd have a family that's part of our church that would say, well, we don't want our kids going to youth group. We don't want them around those other kids. And they would believe the separation principle applied. And I'd have to carefully say, I understand that. But, you know, be different in the world. My pastor used to say, the boat has to be in the water. Just don't let water get in the boat. Your kids will have to go out and get a job someday. They're going to hear curse words and see things that you're not going to like and they're not going to like. But we have to be careful that with separation, we don't carry it too far that we're in isolation. Amen. You know, because we are the light in this dark world. And God will place us in, in places in darkness sometimes. We may be the only light at work. I remember when I got my first job begging groceries at ShopRite in a little town Hazlitt. And I remember I was so excited. They had just raised the money from $1.15 to $1.60. I was in the bucks. I was going to make some money. I could eat donuts when I wanted and buy new clothes, fill up my little car with $5. You remember those days? Long, long, long ago. Uh, but anyway, I remember I was there working, and they said, well, we want you to learn how to cut meat, and they put me back in the meat market. 
And my meat market manager was the foulest guy you can imagine. Every day just cussing and swearing and screaming and taking the Lord's name in vain. And I went home and told my dad I didn't like it. <laughs> I like making the money, but I didn't like working for this guy. He's a very rude guy. And uh, he was just typical of a lost man, a worldly man. And my dad said, well, son, that's no reason to quit. You just need to be a light in that meat market. Now I was 16. I mean, he was an older guy, you know, 40s or whatever. Uh, that really seems young today, but uh, he was an older man and, and I was just unhappy working for him, but I didn't quit. I stuck it out. And my dad taught me something that I have to be a light in a dark place. So it's one thing to be separate. I didn't have to cuss like him. I didn't have to act like him, but I had to be next to him. And what did Jesus do? He sat down with sinners and he ate with them. I think it's fascinating. I told someone the other day. It's interesting that God says, don't fellowship with a professing believer who walks immorally, but sit down and eat a meal with a sinner. Isn't that interesting? Church discipline is to be applied, but our outreach has to be to reach lost people. Be nice to people of the world because you're one of the things that could make a difference in their life. But here we have a distinction. Israel's protected and the Egyptians are overwhelmed by these flies. We're pilgrims. This isn't our home. And sometimes flies will bother us as well. You know, <clears throat> it rains on the just and the unjust. Sometimes people are confused. Now, in this case, it's pretty unique that God protected the Jews from this. But we find so many times in history that Jews are persecuted. And they're singled out like the Holocaust, a, a, a real historical fact, the Holocaust, by the way. But we know that God will allow us sometimes to suffer persecution and sometimes he'll protect us. And while we don't understand the ways of God, we trust him. We trust in the Lord with all our hearts. And we don't lean under our own understanding. Sometimes we don't know why we're going through a trial, why we aren't going through a trial. Why is this family suffering like that? Why isn't this family suffering? The psalmist in Psalm 73 got frustrated and said, I, I get frustrated. I look at the world and, and they just do whatever they want and there doesn't seem to be any punishment for them. Then he said, I went into the house of God and I understood their end. Their end. Listen. God's in control. I don't always understand, but here he protected the Jews. Now in verse 24, God sends this plague, and of course, it destroys the land. This word translated destroyed is, is, is a word that can mean corrupted or decayed, but we know it's the same word used in Sodom. When he destroyed Sodom, he totally burnt this city up. Here, these flies were so overwhelming, it was destroying the land. The Egyptians realized this is serious. Think of the plagues that could follow the flies. Think of the sickness and the disease and all the things that could happen after this. So boy, they're really in trouble and the Pharaoh knows it. He's, he's really suffering. We find no mention here, as we did earlier, of the rod of Aaron. We find no mention of Satan's magicians here. They don't seem to be involved. And so Moses warns Pharaoh and boy, Pharaoh doesn't, doesn't let the people go and bam, the flies come in. So Pharaoh makes a promise here in verse 25. It's his first compromise. He said, go, but don't go permanently. Stay in Egypt. 
because he knew if they got outside of Egypt, they'd be gone forever. They wanted to go. They wanted to leave. And so he makes a compromise. And, and they had to travel outside of the land because they realized, look, we can't, sheep are an abomination to the Egyptians, and so we have to go far enough away that us sacrificing uh, an animal they think is an abomination, it won't be offensive to them. They knew that the Egyptians wouldn't tolerate it. And they couldn't sacrifice animals because they worshipped cows. Their, their main bull was called Isis. It's an interesting name. Uh, but they, they had a sacred bull. And so they didn't know what to do, but they knew they had to get far away from Egypt to sacrifice their animals the way they were supposed to, to please God. And so they wanted to leave. It's interesting because we always have the question in our mind, well, the law hadn't been given yet. How did these people know about sacrificing? And that's something they knew about sacrificing sheep and all that. Moses didn't receive the law till Mount Sinai, right? So how did they know? God told them. God taught them. Remember, even way back in, in, in Genesis, when they had sinned, God clothed them in skins of righteousness, animal skins. He made a sacrifice. They were taught that principle way back. Abraham knew to tithe because God told him about tithing. The law hadn't been given. How do we know then, pastor, you know, how do people know right from wrong? God instills in us a conscience. Even a person who doesn't know God, when he's a child, he knows right from wrong. And uh, I, I never forget my kids when they were born. And I remember little Jeremy, he's now a missionary to the Native Americans. And he's just a good missionary. And I thank God for him. But I remember when he was like 18 months, my first child, I didn't know what to do. I thought he was perfect. And all of a sudden, things are changing. He's crawling over to the stereo and he stands up and he starts to turn the knob and he would turn it way up. So I'd say no and he'd, he'd look back at me. And as soon as I'm looking at a book or a paper, he'd turn that thing. And I thought, that little sinner. He was a sinner from his mother's womb. Did you know that the Bible teaches that? Psalm, the psalmist said he was a sinner from the womb. And so I was shocked that he would do that. But see, uh, we, we don't realize that, that uh, we're born as sinners and our sin is unpaid for until we come to Christ. He was safe at that time in the Lord. He hadn't reached an age where he could understand. But he wasn't saved at that time from his sin. And he would do these things and I was just shocked. He had a conscience. He knew he was doing the wrong thing, didn't he? Didn't have God in him yet. The Bible says that men, their conscience becomes seared. They ignore their conscience and begin to do worse and worse things. And they don't want God because God will change the way they're living. Most people who don't come to the Lord don't want to come to the Lord because they love their sin so much. I have to give up my sin if I get saved. And yes, you have to turn from your sin when you trust Jesus Christ. So here they said, we'll go in verse 20, we'll go a three-day journey. And here's a second compromise. He says, no, you go, but not so far. God never compromises. He requires complete obedience. Did you know that? God wants obedience. He wanted his people to leave Egypt. He wanted Pharaoh to obey, and he never compromises. So many compromisers today. I heard 
I don't know who I heard this week. I think David Jeremiah, one of the guys I heard, said there's two kinds of people in the world that, that we find are successful. Those that are saved from a really bad situation and they see so much the change in their life that they come to the Lord and they serve the Lord. And then those that are raised in a home where a dad or mom never compromised and they serve the Lord because they understand not to compromise. But you find a home that's wishy-washy. You don't very often get a servant of God come out of that home because they haven't seen the importance of standing for what's right. And so compromise never pleases the Lord. I, I thought this was funny. A pastor who is tired of hearing excuses as to why people fail to attend church. So he put this list in his bulletin. You know, John 15, 3 says, we're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. So he's saying we need to be in church to hear the word, you know, and, and to have that each week consistent teaching in our life to clean us up. He said, what if we applied the same 10 rules for taking a bath? Number one, I was forced to as a child. You've heard that excuse, right? I don't go to church. I don't like to because I was forced to. Second, people who wash are hypocrites. They think they're cleaner than everyone else. There are so many different kinds of soap. How do you know which one's the best? Corny, but funny. Uh, um, I used to wash, but I got bored and stopped washing. I wash on special occasions like Christmas and Easter. Isn't that one of the church things? <laughs> None of my friends wash. I start washing when I get older and dirtier. I can't spare the time. The bathroom's never warm enough in winter or cool enough in summer. And here's the funny one. People who make soap are only after your money. <laughs> we wouldn't apply those rules to washing, but we use those excuses for church. And I don't know about your Christian walk. I don't know your heart. I don't know if you have devotions and prayer. I hope you do. Pastors are limited in what they know because we see you at church and that's kind of the extent of what we know about your life. Well, this person comes faithful and this person doesn't hardly come and we realize there's priorities that are in the way of, of you living right. But folks, listen, God doesn't want any of us ever compromising. Sometimes I'm in the pulpit and I think, boy, I just don't know I want to say that. And I, I, I think, would that be something too strong for our people? And God always reminds me, preach the text. Amen. And if it says it, so be it. Selah, they have to live with it, right? And uh, here, uh, Pharaoh's, he's offering a compromise, and God's not going to accept it. Then verse 29, we find Moses here praying a prayer. He, he said to Moses, he says in verse 28, will you pray for me? Will you intercede? And what does Moses do? He prays. I like that about Moses. Always interceding. You know, you think about Moses, and I, I think, you know, he, he spoke to the rock, and uh, the second time he smote the rock, and he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land that seemed so severe. But let me remind you, anytime you disobey the Lord, it's severe. When you're doing something contrary to Scripture, it's serious. Now, in this day and age, maybe... You know, we don't see the effects of our sin right now, but you always reap what you sow. And the laws of reaping and sowing are clear and clean. I mean, you know that when you sow an apple seed, you're not going to get plums. And you're not going to get plums the next day. 
I mean, if I planted a tree in my backyard, an apple tree or a pear tree or whatever, and the next day I went out looking for uh, a little fruit on that little bitty one-foot-tall tree I just stuck in the ground, you'd say, you're an idiot, Pastor. It takes years. I still reap today some things I had sown years ago. And so do you, and you will. Sow the good seeds, right? Live right. Please God and live for him. And when the Lord guides you, follow his leadership and obey him. Because if you don't, you're disobeying him. Now, Pharaoh's not a believer. And he's, he's asking for intercession. Moses prays as Moses, Moses often did. Moses, who, who we find made those mistakes, also was a great man in so many ways. He interceded for the people all the time. Constantly praying for the people. At times he was frustrated saying, Lord, the people are complaining. You know, the water's bitter and we've traveled and we don't have any water. And God said, take a tree and throw it in the water. And what a type of Calvary making our bitter water sweet. But the water turns sweet. He was always interceding. I love that about Moses. I can't wait to meet him someday. Now, when I, in, in heaven, I'll have the mind of Christ. I'll know things, but I'll still want to hear those guys tell the stories, won't you? Moses, tell us about that. Tell us about the flies. I, I want to know what, you know, tell me about the flies. Were there scare beetles on the ground and house flies in the air? How were they devouring the people? I want to know all that stuff someday and I'll know. He intercedes. And notice this great miracle. Now think of how great this miracle is. Oftentimes we talk about miracles. Jesus calmed the sea. It was immediately calm. The wind stopped. But do you know normally if there's a storm and the wind stops, the sea keeps going for a while, doesn't it? But when he spoke, it was as calm as glass. Now notice here in the text, in verse 31. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. There remained what? Not one fly. Now that's, that's, a, that's a miracle. So all the concern about plagues and the aftermath, they're gone. Remember where the frogs, they had to clean them up. The Bible said they had to pile them up. But the flies just flew away. One day I'm going to fly away. Now, now that song... It's a great song, but actually we're gone in the twinkling of an eye. We're not going to be flying away. We're gone like that. I mean, you can't even notice people are going to disappear so fast at the rapture. But the flies are up and gone, and I'm just shocked by that miracle. Not one fly. Verse 32, and Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Pharaoh went back on his word. He made a promise. A lot of New Year's resolutions have already been broken. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Maybe you've made some promises to God. If he helped you out of a problem, you'd live for him and you're not. If he helped you in a certain way, you'd respond accordingly and you haven't. Maybe you started out making a commitment to do something and you've backed out of that commitment or found excuses. Listen, be true to God. You know he never fails you. Is there a fly in your ointment? Is there someone who always annoys you at work? Is there a neighbor that you can't hardly stand? Something you just can't overlook? Something persisting and, and pestering you in life? Listen, it's time to recognize that you're going to always have issues. 
Um, wherever I've pastored, I've had uh, pastored, I've had certain types of people. Everywhere I've pastored, I've had poor people and I've had people who had money. And I've had annoying people everywhere I've pastored, except here. <laughs> you don't annoy me, but you know what? Wherever you go in life, you're going to have flies in your ointment. There's going to be things that annoy you and bother you. And if you say, oh, it hasn't happened to me yet, you haven't been married yet, for one thing. <laughs> I'm sure my wife's had to have a lot of patience to be with me for 43 and a half years. <laughs> and Candy would also say, amen. Life is, is, is just not easy. You know, Paul says we run the race. That Greek word is the word agon, our word agony comes from it. Life is hard. I'm so thankful. I have a companion that dwells with me, never leaves me or forsakes me. You know, that's so awesome to know that when I'm having these problems, he's there. And he's experienced everything I've experienced in some way or fashion. Yet without sin, he was impeccable. Jesus couldn't have sinned because of his nature. He was God. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. What about your life? Today, if you're not a believer, I challenge you to trust Jesus Christ. Trust him today. And if you're a believer and you maybe need prayer, just come and we'll pray with you. And Maybe you want to join the church. Maybe you need to say this or that. I don't know. But, but we're, we're always willing to help you uh, up, up here. I, I used to love the Billy Graham Crusades to see him. I still watch some of them on TV. You know, my wife's uncle played the guitar for many years for him. So I always like to see him and love to hear Billy Graham. And he encouraged people, encouraged them to come forward and make it public. Be willing to stand up and say, I'm a Christian now. And God wants to save you if you're not. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He died for the sins of the whole world, John says. It means he died for you. I know he died for me and saved me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, it's been good to be in your house today. Loved, loved everything about being here. I love to be with God's people. More than that, I love to worship you. Thank you for dwelling in our lives. And God, I don't know hearts today, but you do. And I just pray you'll speak to hearts, not just in the invitation, but all week long, that we'll carry the word with us, remembering what you have said this morning via your Holy Spirit to our hearts. Bless now, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.